Hey everyone, Geekade and the Colon Cancer Alliance are teaming up once again for the Pain in the Assathon 2017, featuring games like Comic Zone, Mega Man Unlimited, and Zelda Wand of Gamelon. Several Geekade personalities, including Dan, myself, and Jengis, and Evan, and Dean, will be playing Pain in the Ass video games to raise money for colon cancer research and prevention. The event will begin at 10 a.m. on August 5th and end at 10 a.m. August 6th. That's 24 hours of non-stop Pain in the Ass video games. Stay tuned to Geekade.com for more details. Warning. The following program contains adult language, adult themes, and spoilers. Viewer discretion is advised. Good evening and welcome to this week's episode of this week's episode. This is episode 90, it's the week of July 20th, 2017, and I am Chris, filling in for Evan. Tonight I'm joined by the mother of dragons named John and Ellie, Miss Karen Randazzo. Shall we begin? <laughs> Evan couldn't make it this evening on account of having literally millions of dollars worth of work on his plate, but since there was so much gosh darn news, we decided to stick it out and do it ourselves. But before we go any further, we want to hear from you. Yes, you, wonderful person who has decided to listen to this podcast. We want to know what shows you want us to talk about. What topics you think we should discuss. How much better Evan is at hosting podcasts than I am. And you can send us said information at mail at geekade.com. Just include this week's episode in the subject line and tell us your hopes and dreams. Because we're ever so lonely. Now back to business. Since we called an audible this week, we are postponing my show. Actually, uh, we can't seem to find my show anywhere on the internets for our viewing pleasure, so we would have to have had picked another show anyway. But since it's just the two of us this week, we're going to talk about how we felt about the season premiere of Game of Thrones. So, Game of Thrones Season 7, Episode 1, is called Dragonstone, originally aired July 19th, 2017. Karen... How did you feel about this episode? Well, I feel like it aired on July 16th and not 19th. Really? Mm-hmm. Because July 19th is Wednesday. Yeah. That's interesting. Does IM- IMDB was wrong! Apropos of nothing. Um, I thought it was uh, the bomb diggity, yo. I would agree. Uh, there was there was definitely bomb. Um, there, was, there was a slice of diggity. It was definitely worth the wait. Yeah, yeah. Um... I uh, I I still don't know who Ed Sheeran is, but um, <laughs> I I do know now but that like that was that dude. I mean, I don't get him like why this is such a a huge monumental deal, but he was perfectly fine in the episode, and I saw this great um, uh, picture online today of um, Tormund plus Brienne equals that dude, because yeah. like holy crap. Like, it was, watch seeing those three pictures in a row, like, oh, oh, wow, they would make that kid. I suppose. Tormund the Brienne Mounter. Thank you, Hunter Wild. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> yeah, I, um, this, this, unlike Orphan Black, like, this is a super complicated show, much like Orphan Black, but unlike Orphan Black, I was not completely effing lost when we started this episode. I, I had some questions. I was uh, a little taken aback by a few of the things in uh, in the episode, just like, oh, who's that bearded dude again, and, and who's that, you know, dirty guy? I it's, was. It's uh, pretty much always that way at the beginning of a season of Game of Thrones. Who's that bearded guy? It really is. Like, it's just always something. There's there, there's a, there's a lot going on, a lot of different uh, pieces on and the beards. game board, as it were. But uh, Cersei is. Uh, She's All like, kinds of crazy. Yeah, she has a. She's she's definitely out of her gourd. She's well, a went and painted the world on her floor. So. <laughs> Much like uh, the war table that was originally carved by Aegon the Conqueror, who was was he not the Mad King? I believe so. So, woohoo! Yeah, apparently she's a, that's a symptom of madness: is cartography. And blowing up everyone. Oh yeah, that too. <laughs> so um, yeah. Let's see. Who who else were we catching up with? There wasn't 
There was very little in the way of Tyrion. I didn't think he actually got any lines in this episode. He just stood there on the boat next to Daenerys. Hopefully, as you said, that they weren't standing there on the boat like that the whole time because that would have been a long, boring boat ride standing there like that. Yes, yes, it would have. Hold uh, on a moment. go get the other mic stand but whatever i think this will be fine so where were we well we started out with walder frey which to me was like um oh i thought this guy was dead yeah oh. that, was, that was actually pretty funny so uh when we were watching it karen went into the kitchen to go do something for the end of the previouslys and the last bit of the previouslys was walder frey getting the shit murdered out of him and then she comes back and she's like, uh, it's, I thought he was dead. And I said, yeah, me too. That was literally the last thing they showed was this guy dying. So and then I, I like in the middle of it's like, oh, what if it's Arya and that weird masky stuff that she does now? And it was and it was awesome. And she just killed everybody. But I can't. I, and, and I see everybody applauding this scene and, and rightfully so. Like you should applaud Arya being Arya and and on her uh, revenge streak, but I remember now, you know to throw back to our game of spoilers stuff with Hunter. Um, he brought up that Arya is might just be a completely irredeemable character at this point. Like she has so much blood on her hands and has become so completely consumed with her quest for revenge. Like what what does the rest of this girl's life look like, and does she even think that she has one? I mean. What? Where does Arya go past revenge? Because she's absolutely one hundred percent consumed with it at this point. Well, I think that's what the her other scene in the episode was supposed to show that there is still a little bit of her there mm-hmm. when she's in that conversation with the soldiers. I mean, she was even able to laugh at the at herself at the absurdity of the idea of Hey, I'm a sixteen year old girl and I'm headed to Gang's Landing to kill the most powerful <laughs> woman in the world. Yeah, I did love how frank she was with. She it's almost like she thought about it for a second. Like, should I come up with a cover story? She's like, Nah, screw it. I'm gonna go murder the queen, and I'm sure everyone thinks that she's joking. But I also think that her plot against the rest of the phrase was justified because they killed every fucking Stark they could find. And so, yeah. no, absolutely. It's uh, you know, this is the world that they live in. I just um. I, I think it's an interesting question. Like, we're all very, very caught up in rooting for her killing everybody. But, you know, at the end of the day, she's still a little girl who's killing a lot of people. And that's the other thing. She didn't kill everybody. She spared the wife because it wasn't her fault. Yeah, that is true. So there is definitely some something cooking in, in, in Arya. Speaking of uh, Stark children, though, um, the whole Sansa-Jon Snow thing... That was a that was a really interesting scene. I thought uh, with the two of them, you know, talking and him being all, you know, super good guy, kingly. And for the record, I side with with John for the most part in not taking those people's houses from them, um, just because I understand his perspective of, uh, you know, revenge is great and punishing the bad guys is great, but we need bodies and we need them now. Like at whatever cost is necessary, we need bodies. And also just being the good guy more or less. But Sansa's point is very well taken that that's what got Ned Stark killed. You know, being the good guy in Westeros is not necessarily a safe or smart thing to do because people in this show love to betray and murder people. That is true, but I think what uh, Ned's mistake was that is a mistake John won't make is to be too trusting at the same time as being too nice. Yeah, and I feel like that's what Sansa was trying to warn him against, but I almost feel like Sansa's gone too far in that other direction. Like, Yeah, she she's, spent too much time with Cersei. She did, and <laughs> too much time getting, you know, too much time with Cersei and Joffrey and, and Ramsay. Like, this girl has seen the evil of the the evilest of the evils it's not surprising she's turning out the way she is yeah and and i'm hoping that the two of them john and sansa can balance each other out a bit um because you know she does have good advice she's she's got the right kind of mind for this um but john could also help mellow out her more uh you know 
sadistic tendencies. Yeah, yeah, her, her the, all that you know wonderful vengeance floating around in her head. But you know, Brienne is still there, and I, I liked that she was like, "What the hell is Littlefinger still doing here?" And Sansa's point was well made. Like he saved the day, so yeah, let's just, without just the veil. keep our eyes on him. You know, without them, they'd all be dead. But this guy is still effing dangerous and creepy as fuck. That's so. the thing about Westeros is like you have to know what everybody's motivations are in order to make a smart decision. Uh, Hunter pointed out something in his game of spoilers this week uh, where he and his wife were discussing and they said that they thought that John and Sansa should form a small council like they have in King's Landing. And I, you know, I thought, this is probably not a bad idea, but I think what John is going for with holding the big meeting with, you know, in front of everybody is is more transparency because I think part of what people don't like about the way King's Landing is run is how decisions are made behind closed doors that lead to, oh, I don't know, giant churches getting blown up. Yes. <laughs> no, that is a very, very valid point. Um, I, I didn't even think about the whole transparency thing, but yeah. I, I, that does make sense. Like the the whole you know council behind closed doors to to present a unified front in the leadership to kind of avoid people doubting you know the strength of John's leadership is one thing, but at the same time, I I don't think John cares as much, maybe even as much as he should, if if people see that side of things. Like obviously he does care because he kind of reamed out Sansa for um, you know undermining him in front of everybody, but at the same time he did. You know, he didn't try to do any of that stuff in secret, and he held his ground. He made his argument, and and I think that's going to earn him more respect from the people he's who's he's leading than anybody and than anything else, really. Agreed, because that was that was that's a a really good point. Is like Sansa was basically saying what probably half the people in there was were thinking, like, no, these people betrayed us. Let's you know, let's let's kill them, and she was the voice of that audience, and the. The P- of course, those those people weren't going to say that out loud at the meeting to their new king. So her saying that gave John the opportunity to rationalize his decisions to everybody without you know them questioning him. Yeah, it was sort of almost like Sansa being devil's advocate for John. Yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, I think that worked out really well. I, I I like their positioning. I um I don't know how much I buy. Uh, like, all right, so. Cersei's got whatever's left of the army in King's Landing. And then she got, you know, that douchemeister on the boat and his <laughs> legion of boats. But I feel like Daenerys has just as many boats, if not more. And... Unsullied. Yeah, and the Unsullied and a trio of dragons and... And uh, the... What do you call it? The Who are the people Khal Drogo came from? Those guys. Oh yeah, the Dothraki. Dothrakis. And she's also got um, uh, what the hell? Uh, the 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 people who ditched the boat people, like uh, um, uh, the guy that was tortured, Theon, the great, the the. Oh the, yeah, well. The other folks, like the handful of people that were just like, screw these guys, we're taking. They did boats take the best ships from there too. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I still feel like Daenerys has, has like just the grotesquely upper hand and I wonder I I don't remember where she is in this as far as like knowing about the White Walkers like I feel like Cersei is like everyone's coming to get us and I'm gonna kill everybody and Daenerys is just like all right I'm gonna go take back the throne and rule Westeros and it's gonna be great and Jon Snow's just like cool these guys are gonna kill everybody yeah (laughs) this is the real battle none of this other crap matters and so I hope that I hope that I see like that's the thing if if Dan- if uh, Daenerys comes and joins forces with Jon Snow to take on King's Landing like that's a slaughter right there like what yes. is wh- what do they have to stand up against that especially since Cersei used all of the green flame stuff already to murder like everyone like that was a pretty nice stockpile of weapons that she no longer has. No, I, I I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how it's all gonna play out. Um, doesn't seem like it's going to end well for her though. No, I sincerely doubt it will. Um, 
Hunter did say that he thinks that Douche Nuggets McGee is going to bring her Tyrion's head. And I really hope that doesn't happen because I don't want them to kill Tyrion, but this is Game of Thrones and they kill people. So I don't think Euron Greyjoy is a badass enough to kill Tyrion. No, I don't think he's a badass enough, but I think he might be sneaky enough. Like he's just such a slimy piece of shit that I could see him like being able to sneak in somewhere and just kill someone. But I would imagine Tyrion's probably pretty well guarded as that hand to a Daenerys. I don't know. She yeah. was all very interesting, and oh, Brian, where where did Bran wound up? He he got to the He's, wall. Yeah, not much going on with him. No, but but he well he made it to the wall now, and like he's going to be around people who have seen, you know, John. And did Sansa make it to the wall at some point? Uh, Is that I where think they met yes, up? that's where yeah. they met up. Yeah, so there he's going to find out you know, well I don't have to find out cuz i'm sure he kind of knows things as being the three-eyed raven but he's getting closer to a little bit more of a family reunion though um girl the mira mira no the aria she's huh. going she's going elsewhere so she's probably not running into them anytime soon although that's going to be a real interesting reunion and I wonder, like, what's going to happen if Bran crosses paths with uh, Jamie again? Like, and what's, where's Jamie Lannister really going to wind up in all this stuff? Because he, I don't think he's a big fan of Cersei anymore. And, like, obviously he was, like, going through the whole thing last season where he's like, you can't choose who you love. And I hate that I love this woman, but I do, even though she's my sister. And that's gross. But, uh, I, like, I really don't, like, he's not. He's not doing too well with I this I read whole thing. an interesting theory uh, that he's going to have to be the one to kill Cersei. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, he he can get close enough. Yep. And, you know, he's <laughs> probably eventually going to see the practicality of it. And, like, she's just, she's got a dark path, man. Yeah, not a lot of people are going to get past the mountain. <laughs> the, nope. the zombie mountain that she's, she's she's hanging out with at all times. So, yeah, I think he'd probably be just about the only one who could pull it off. Whew. All right, well, anything else to add on Game of Thrones before we take ourselves a break? Um, I thought that was a nice little, uh, little bit of character building for the Hound and uh, oh yeah, Beric yeah. Dondarrion and those guys. Um. And, you know, good for Sam for actually getting to be useful, having yeah. to suffer through some pretty gross stuff for it. Yes, yes, and indeed. And yay, Jim Broadbent. That was an awesome uh, cameo there. The guy who was, uh, just, you called him Slughorn. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was nice nice to see him. Um, but, yeah, um, I just felt like it was good... Uh, it's cool to see the table being set for this season, all the pieces being put into place. It didn't feel like slow, though. Game of Thrones can sometimes feel like it's going really slowly, and this does not feel like that. This feels like, okay, here we go, here we go, here we go. Like, kind of, I don't know, it was a, a slow buildup, but an exciting one? Yes, it was a very well-paced burn. It was like good, going up good a series, uh, season premiere. Going up the first tell of a roller coaster. Yeah, exactly. I like um, that. And I think uh, with the shorter season and the longer episodes, I think that's going to add up to like just a lot of action-packed moments that we're in for. All right, I concur. Okay, we're going to take ourselves a quick break and do some commercials. You're listening to this week's episode on Geekade.com. Stick around. Dawn Smith has discovered a fun new shonen anime series that has a magical hero and villain trapped in modern-day Tokyo, dealing with all the same challenges faced by the young adults in its target audience. What makes this show fun, exciting, and special? Find out in Catching Up on a Fandom. The Devil is a Part-Timer. It sure was fun talking about Game of Thrones this week, but we're not going to do it every week. That's just not really our thing. If you'd like to read more about this and every other episode this season, I have good news for you. Our recap series, Game of Spoilers, ably penned by Hunter Wilde, is back. Check out the Spoilers tab on the GeekAid homepage for a weekly breakdown of all the plot twists and turns Westeros has to offer. 
If you like tabletop gaming podcasts, but once a month isn't quite often enough for you to hear one, today is your lucky day. You Shall Not Pass Go's host, Dave, is joined by special guest Dungeon Master Rocco for a one-shot adventure on top of your regularly scheduled podcast goodness. Don't miss You Shall Not Pass Go Extra, Big Trouble in Little Leaf Shadow. If you're a sports fan in Philadelphia, there's one phrase you hear over and over again. Trust the process. Geekade sports geek Dave DiOrio takes a deep dive into what that means, why it takes so long, and why it's a good thing. Learn more about how trusting the process makes you a badass in What It Means to Trust the Process. You can catch all this great stuff plus tons of other articles, videos, podcasts, and more right now at geekade.com. Evan! Evan! Uh, Evan's not here, man. Evan's not here, man? Okay, well, I guess... I guess I will have to do the Dragon Ball Super 60-second summary solo. Ha! And... (laughs) And go. Okay, so we're still in the Tournament of Power. Goku and Vegeta handled themselves pretty darn well, uh, but now it's time to catch up with the, the other players on the tournament field. And those uh, two of the players that were in the spotlight this week were basically uh, Krillin and Android 17, and uh, sorry 18. And Krillin and 18, they're a married couple, and they were getting teamed up on. And Krillin totally saved the day by throwing a stinky shoe at this guy who could only—he uh, was blind, so like his his Taioken didn't work, his solar flare. And so he threw a stinky shoe on his nose and made him get all, like, freaked out. And then he knocked him out of the ring. And then uh, he saved 18 from getting knocked out of the ring from someone that she wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to. But then when he was gloating for, like, a split second, the other, was it, Universe 9, I think, Frieza-like dude came in and knocked him out of the ring. And Krillin was really ashamed of himself. And that was kind of sad. But 18 is going to totally avenge him and other people are going to kick the crap out of other people. And the Tournament of Power continues! And that was a minute. Thanks for listening. And we are back. Uh, It's time for Karen and I to talk about things that are going on in the news. So one news story that we uh, have, it came in three different parts. So the first part uh, came to us from Today.com, as in the Today Show. The second chunk of it came from Muppet Pundit. And then the final chunk came from BBC News. And we are, of course, talking about the controversy surrounding uh, the voice actor behind Kermit the Frog. Uh, He's being replaced, we found out. And uh, there wasn't much uh, reasoning giving initially. And then the guy who uh, was the voice of Kermit ever since uh, Hanson died, which I didn't realize was the same guy because Kermit's voice has changed considerably over the years. I mean, I guess, uh, what was his name? Oh, Whitmore. Um, Steve Whitmore. Steve Whitmore, yeah. He's definitely gotten better at doing Kermit because I remember when, uh, right after Henson died, some of the earliest projects like uh, Muppet Christmas Carol, he sounds so different from Henson. Um, but now, uh, even up to like the most recent couple of Muppet movies and even the less than stellar Muppet TV show, he sounds uh, uh, considerably better. So, um, Whitmore was pretty devastated by the whole thing, uh, obviously because he takes this he takes this role really seriously, and, and uh, he's been Kermit for like what twenty seven years, yeah, twenty seven years, and uh, he was handpicked by Hanson, um, and and he really looked up to him. So uh, what we found out in the, uh, the 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 first part of the story was he's being replaced. The second part of the story was finding out. Um, Whitmore's kind of position on it and now this third part of the story is finding out that um, Disney's whole whole business is that uh, they, they what, what are they calling it uh, unacceptable business conduct and um, I don't really know where I sit on this because uh, you know D- Disney wants to be uh, protective of the character it seems and uh, it seems that Whitmore had a lot of problems with the directions that they were taking with the character, like uh, the Miss Piggy split and just kind of the way Kermit was handled. And um, what is it specifically of him lying to Robin about the breakup? And he didn't think Kermit would do that. And, and I can agree with him on that point. We've talked at length about the Muppets on this show, how they made a lot of decisions with the characters that I, I think were very out of character for them. 
Um, and one of his things was saying that, uh, if they had, you know, maybe if they had listened to him and the other Muppet actors that were saying this is wrong over and over again, that maybe the show you know, wouldn't have died. It wouldn't have. Yeah. Quick, painful death. Yeah. Um, which still, it was really getting back on track with that new showrunner, but I think it's better dead. <laughs> I think it's better. better off dead. Yeah. But it's, it's better off dead. So, um, what do you think about all this business? Uh, I think he took sides against the family, really. I mean, it's not for me to say, like, we we can, you know, go back and forth of the details of, you know, what the Henson said and what he said on his blog, um, but I think ultimately he lost his job because he took sides against the Hensons and, uh, you know, and, and that it seemed to me that they had a problem with him doing so publicly like i think that's how they get away with calling it uh, unacceptable business practices or whatever they, they called it business conduct is that he said that he didn't you know he he said publicly that he didn't agree with things that would be done with the character yeah. if he had maybe i mean i guess he, what he said is that he and some of the other actors did you know disagree privately with the show and I guess they weren't listened to and he felt like he needed to speak up in the name of Kermit. Um. <laughs> Which I get because, I mean, it, it's, it's kind, kind of a, of a rough sacred situation. thing for a lot of people. So, you know, it is important. Yeah. I mean, a lot of that show could very easily be viewed as character assassination. Like they did some that that was not a good TV show and it was certainly not a good Muppet show. Um, so I can understand the the want to protect the characters but at the end of the day it, it you know like frank oz is a perfect example frank oz was like this is this isn't right this this isn't cool and a lot of these decisions don't make sense but he still you know he, he still you know kind of sucked it up and did it and he did it mm -hmm. with respect you know mm -hmm. because he's frank freaking oz so i don't yeah, know i think in the end nobody handled it well as that way it comes out agreed and um I saw that I came across the BBC story in a in a sort of a tweet storm of of things about this story. And uh, somebody said, you know, um, Disney may be doing wonders for the Marvel Universe and for Star Wars, but they sure did fuck up the Muppets. Yeah. And it's it's kind of a shame because the last two movies did did not do that. The last two. I mean, we didn't see most wanted, but I heard pretty good things about it. But mm -hmm. the Muppet movie with Jason Siegel was fantastic. Yeah, it was great. So, I mean, like they did great with these movies. But then this this TV series has been a debacle since day one. And uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing them put this behind them. Yeah, I hope that with the addition of some fresh blood that, you know, we just start a new chapter in Muppet history. Yeah, let's forget this show ever happened and move on. It's not canon. Yeah. Wipe it from the Muppet canon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, this next one comes to us from Revelist.com. Project Runway will finally feature models of different sizes. And there was much rejoicing. Yay! I It's... It's it's remarkable. Like we we used to watch this show quite a bit, and mm -hmm. there'd be all these outfits on there, and be like, "Wow, that looks so cute!" And like this would all come up kind of during the course of the episodes about like when they always have like a, a you know yeah they'd have one challenge where they had to dress actual people and not models, and all the designers would fucking bitch a bitch. Yeah, they'd be like these aren't like traditional model. It's blah, impossible blah, blah. to close these clothe these women. Okay, but that's you <laughs> like know ninety percent of, of your client base on Earth. Like <laughs> either like, they're either, they, not everybody is a supermodel. Either they're larger or smaller than supermodels. And like, clothes that work on supermodels do not work on people who are not supermodels. Exactly. So I mean, I think that's I, I think that's not only a great thing just for inclusion's sake but it's a great thing for the challenges because it's going to make it, it more interesting yeah it's one thing to be able to create you know these you know gorgeous works of art uh, that they do on these very specific shaped people mm -hmm. but you know clothing clothes are for everyone <laughs> yeah it's, literally like everyone kinda, wears yeah, them and just about everybody wears clothes so it, it, it 
I, I think this is a very, very good thing. And uh, I was just looking in the article. I guess in season 14, the winner was a plus-size designer who designed hmm. cl- plus-size clothes. Oh, nice. And, uh, and that sort of started a... Uh, I guess it's season 16 now that's coming out next that they're going to be doing this on. They've been at this for a long time. Yes. Uh, It's a good show. It is a good show. So that's kind of what started it all. And uh, Nina Garcia, who's a judge on it, says uh, the perception of beauty changes throughout the times. We went from super uh, Twiggy, the supermodel to the waif. Now, the, happily, the industry is embracing body diversity, and so are we. I'm very proud to be part of a show that has full-figured women, real women, designers designing for women with real body types. So, well put, Nina Garcia. As much as sometimes I have disagreed with many, many things she said, yes, I indeed. cannot disagree with that at all. But now, that that being said, I, I do hope that it's not just plus-sized, because there's a lot of like skinny women out there that mm-hmm. are also not supermodel shaped they're just skinny and that's just the way that they are and uh i think we'll see just an embracing of all different body types i certainly hope so i i I hope it is not just plus sized because that's i mean i don't want to get too far off topic but i do think that that's a very dangerous thing that some tv seems to do is really normalizing too far in that direction Mm -hmm. like there, there is a, you know, there are certain health concerns at some point. Like there is no getting over the fact that a considerable portion of the United States is unhealthily overweight. Mm-hmm. And while beauty does come in all shapes and sizes, and it is important to be able to have clothing for people of all shapes and sizes, it's there's a certain degree of over normalizing that and oh, just going too far in the direction of oh no, it's okay, you're just shaped that way, like. I, I, it's a slippery slope, so there, I've said my piece. <laughs> okay. I will step down off of my soapbox and move on to... Eater. Eater.com, uh, where Alton Brown teases the return of Good Eats with a spooky video. I wouldn't call it spooky. It was spooky. It was dark, and there were spider webs on everything. <laughs> That's spooky. Including his uh, KitchenAid with the, with the, the flames, flames on, on it. it. Oh, I really want to put those on mine. And the oven camera. and I freaking love Good Eats. I love this show so, so much, and I'm so glad he's going to be making new episodes. I recently made a uh, an Alton Brown recipe and gave it to somebody, and uh, when they when they complimented me on the food, I explained where the recipe came from. And, and this is someone who was, you know, an avid baker and just not ever, uh, she said she never really paid too much attention to Alden Brown. And I was like, listen, here's what you need to do while you're baking. You need to put on old episodes of good eats because you will learn things. Yeah. I mean, in case you're unfamiliar with good eats for whatever reason, it's like, it was the reason to have food network. It was like the reason that Food Network besides Iron Chef back in the day. And it's just Alton Brown sciencing the crap out of delicious food. And it's wonderful. It's just it's just a wonderful show. And I'm super glad to have it back in whatever capacity it can possibly be brought back with. Next up, uh, I snagged this from YouTube because uh, it's a trailer. The official trailer for the Tick series from Amazon came out. I feel like this show has been been coming out for like a really long time. Well, this was from that pilot season thing. Right, I remember. I just feel like the show isn't hasn't been out yet. (laughs) When I saw the trailer, I was like, wait, is this for season two or something? No. It does look like it's changed a tiny bit. Like I feel like Arthur has changed a lot since that pilot that pilot episode that they did. Like I think his outfit changed. It's been a while since I've watched it, but I think this looks fantastic. It does look great, and uh, even if you hadn't put this in the feed, I still would have seen it because they're airing it before like everything that you watch on Amazon right now. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not watching anything on Amazon right now. I'm still, I'm I'm more than halfway done with season three of my full series Law and Order rewatch. Good lord, man. Which I'm going to be doing for... Until you're 40. I don't know if I'm going to get through the whole thing, but I will say that I'm not bored yet. Yeah. So... Well, it's hard to hard to do with that show. It is. I freaking love Law & Order. But back to the the point, The Tick. 
uh, is finally coming out soon, and I am so excited. This trailer looks great. The this writing looks really good. It does, yeah. It doesn't, like, it, it, it kind of, it's true to the original, which in a, in a, I don't know, like, not in a, you know, word for word kind of way, but it, it feels like it has the spirit of the original. Yeah, uh, it, it definitely has the right spirit to it, and I will also say that I love what they did to the Tix outfit, too, because one of the things I wasn't crazy about in the pilot episode was the Tix outfit was really uh, over-textured. It was kind of creepy-looking, and uh, they smoothed the, they smoothed it out a bit in this, and it, it looks really nice. So um, I was a big fan of the Tick cartoon, I was a big fan of the very short-lived Tick live-action thing with Patrick Warburton. Um, they, they've, it seems like TV's been trying to get the Tick right for a very long time. Now, granted, I've never read any of the original comics, but I have. Uh, I was a big fan of the cartoon, and I really, really liked the direction of the pilot episode of this. I was so impressed by it. So I am very excited to see this happen. And this comes out when... Someday, Some- I just tried clicking on the link and uh, it's the link in our uh, little show note thingy here, and it seems to be dead. Oh, great! So, um, so I don't know, but All it's right. a coming. I'm okay. glad I put you on the spot there. Yes, <laughs> this one's uh, this is this comes to us from comicbook.com, and this is kind of a sad one. Uh, Walking Dead stuntman dies after a tragic accident on season eight set. Uh, what happened here? Uh, I believe he fell. Yes, he fell 20 feet to a concrete floor. Um, yeah. It was a guy, he's like been around since he's the been, beginning. Right? Yeah, he was a longtime stunt performer on the show. He was really good friends with uh, a lot of the cast. And uh, I guess, um, you know, it wasn't, he went to the hospital, wasn't immediate. So a lot mm. of cast members were tweeting out support, including... Uh, cast members from past seasons who are no longer on the show, which kind of shows you what an impact this guy had on the Walking Dead family. Yikes. So. Well, I, I cannot say that I am a fan of the show any longer, but that is a that is a darn tragedy, and mm-hmm. uh, I'm sorry to have to report it. But uh, let's move on. So uh, this comes to us from The Inquisitor. Roseanne Revival. Details emerge on how producers will explain the absence of late star Glenn Quinn. Uh, I didn't remember anything about this, so uh, Karen, why don't you help uh, sure. clear this um, So, the, Glenn Quinn is the guy who played Mark, who was Becky's boyfriend, who was kind of the bad boy, and he was a, he was a problem for a lot of the show. The, the, the most memorable Mark moment for me was was uh, a situation where I think he was drunk and Dan had to go pick him up um, and take him somewhere and uh, or get him home. <laughs> and he, he was just, you know, doing drunk dialogue in the truck and making up a, a poem with Dan's name. He was like, Dan, Dan, he's the Dan man, Dan. Now you do one. <laughs> and Dan goes, Mark, Mark, you puke in my truck and I'll kill you. <laughs> so uh, that is the character of Mark. Uh, Glenn Quinn passed away in the early 2000s, I believe. Oh, two. Oh, two. Yeah. Um, and so the show is going to have to explain his absence. Um, the, the Glenn Quinn also played Doyle on Angel, which is not somebody you would recognize, Chris. But uh, I remember the character of Doyle from Angel. I remember that the guy who played him died. I did not connect at all that it was the same guy as Mark from Roseanne. I was like, holy crap, that's the same dude. Because on Angel, he has his um, natural Irish accent, um, which he didn't have on Roseanne. He hid it. Huh. Uh, so anyway, so that character is going to be gone in the revival. They're going to have to explain it. And they didn't, haven't exactly said what they're going to do. But uh, they do say that um, it seems like one of Darlene and David's children is going to be named Mark. Um, so that the that not just that the character will be gone, but that there will be a child named after him. So that his death will probably be part of the show. Gotcha. The character, not just the actor. 
Well, that's that's something. All right, let's get a, a superfluous story out of the way before we hit our last two big ones. Um, Mystery Science, <laughs> thank you, Nerdist.com. Mystery Science Theater 3000, bots get the Funko Pop treatment. There are Crow and Tom Servo Funko Pops, and they look somewhere between adorable and holy crap hideous. I think they're adorable. I think these are some of the cutest pops I've ever seen. <laughs> There's something really unsettling about Servo just being... He's, he's he's servo, but he's all distorted and stuff. Yeah, the proportions are very, very <laughs> off. Yeah, but I mean, that's just kind of how pops, pops work, are. You yeah, know? I, mean, I mean, you're used to seeing it in a human figure, but obviously the bots are not human. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Servo's supposed to be about half the size of Crow when he's standing up, so it's just <laughs> weird. But look, they're Funko Pops, and it's so cool to me that there is official Mystery Science Theater merchandise floating around out there. That is a... A simply wonderful thing. They are they're they're gonna be out there. People love people love their Funko Pops, so I'm sure they'll be uh, in special editions of them at Comic Con or whatever, because that's what they do with everything. I think they are coming out in October. Hooray! Get them on your Christmas list, ladies and gentlemen. Funko Pops for Mystery Science Theater 3000's Crow and Tom Servo, Crow T Robot and Tom Servo. All right, so the last two ones are relatively big ones, so let's uh, let's go with Tor.com, which is where Evan posted this from, but really, this could be from any of the... Yeah, it's literally, you can't look at the internet and not find this story. Yes. Uh, Doctor Who's new Time Lord, the 13th Doctor, is Jodie Whittaker. Yes, the Doctor is a woman, and as Matt Much said... Matt Much, big fan of the show, said on Twitter, there's an awful lot of people saying, you know, complaining about uh, stopping the people from complaining, but I have yet to see very many people actually complaining about this. Yeah, I'm not sure whether it's just that my feeds are cultivated such that all that hate is just has already been, you know, called out. I'm sure there are people on the internet who are genuinely pissed about this, but I have not encountered them. However... The preemptive backlash against that hate has been super entertaining for the last couple of days. It has indeed been very hilarious. There's lots of uh... somebody put out a, a video of a you know call the Doctor Who helpline if you're upset about <laughs> the Doctor being a woman. There's been no shortage of hilarious tweets. Um, there's one one great one that I posted this the other day. That's um, said a lot of people who'd never cared about Doctor Who suddenly care about it now, so maybe we should say climate change is a woman. Yeah. <laughs> as long as it used to be a man. Um, so what do you, how are you, how do you, before we, you know, I'm the Whovian on the podcast, but how do you feel about it, dear? Well, I kind of, I'm just going to kind of leave it. <laughs> I, I question, I, I question it only because it seems like there was such so much outcry for it from the I hate to use the term social justice warriors, um, but there was a lot of those kind of people being like, the doctor needs to be a Muslim uh, lesbian uh, with a disability, and it's absolutely ridiculous. It's a time lord; they can regenerate anything. They should be inclusive to everything and all people, and it just should, it has to be something. It has to be. And there was a lot of really, really obnoxious, entitled crap surrounding that for a long time. And so, obviously, there's this feeling with me that uh, this was kind of buckling to pressure from a community that was asking for it for no other reason than that. Like, it's not they're asking for it because it pr provides interesting storytelling possibilities. It was asking for it for the sake of it being a thing. And that's never a good place to come from. Now, knowing the showrunner, the new showrunner, what has worked with this woman before, like extensively, this makes a lot of sense to me because that means that the showrunner and the star have a rapport and they have a rapport from a very critically acclaimed show, Broadchurch, which we watched the first season of and were really impressed by. Um, it's really just going to come down to the writing. I'm happy that this show is no longer in Moffat's hands. I believe that he ran his course and it's time for new blood. 
And as long as it's interesting, I'm perfectly fine with the doctor being a woman. It's going to be, it's going to be very interesting to see how that character reacts to regenerating from Peter Capaldi into a woman who is not ginger. Yes. Still not ginger. (laughs) Still not ginger. Um, Yeah. I'm, I am, I am okay with it as long as the writing is good. And as long as they don't do anything to really betray the character, um, Moffat and Moffat and company handled Missy extraordinarily well. Missy was a really, really interesting take on the master. Um, and the whole like regenerating as a woman thing. And that was handled very well, but the master is a very different character from the doctor. And like you had this really interesting arc of pseudo redemption for the master, which was really weird, but a, a cool story to tell. I mean, especially considering how long this show has been going on, like how long can an intelligent person truly be a villain without learning something? You know, it's and it was I thought that was a very interesting thing to do with Missy. Um, But I don't know. I don't even know if they are going to play the fact that it's that the doctor's a woman now, and I almost hope that they don't. I hope that she just continues to play the role the same way. And uh, I'm also really, really interested to find out, not exactly the same way, obviously, but I, I hope that it's not just like, I hope they don't play up femininity too much and just make it the same person, you know, with different attributes. I'm very interested to see what they do with the uh, the companion, too. Yes, like indeed. What I was saying to you and uh, Karen in the car at some point, because we've been driving around a lot, I just hope that it's, uh, I hope that the companion is like a robotic hamster from Jupiter or something. Like, I just want them to go. Non-Earth companion. Let's not have a early 20s Earth female cute companion. Like, let's just. Well, that's the one thing is, you know, they don't have to do that now with this casting. They don't have to do that for the sake of quote-unquote appeasing that part of the population that wants to see that yeah and because they, they already yeah. are going to get that in the, the casting of the doctor exactly you will appeal to young girls by having an awesome you know female lead so yay um yeah i people i i feel like uh the resident expert on this or at least I feel like people see me as that because I am a huge Whovian and uh, people, so everybody wants to know what I think. Here's what I think. I don't know. You know why? Because we don't know anything about her. We saw the video. The video was cute. It was a minute long. They did a a sneaky, clever job of covering up who it was going to be until the last possible second that they could by putting a hood on the character and shooting them from far away and in tight close-ups and whatever um but she didn't get a line she didn't get nothing that's not even going to be her outfit on the show right they didn't you know so we have no clue who this doctor is and without knowing that i can't tell you how i feel about it the fact that she makes she's a woman really makes no friggin' bit of difference to me i think it's nice i think it is good i mean i grew up as a whovian playing and dressing up as the companions because those were the girls, except for the one time that I dressed up as canine because I'm awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, so, you know, it, it will be nice in that respect to, for, you know, young girls to, to be rep- see representation in a show like this. Cause it, you know, it, it is and always has been a family show, but I, as far as, whether or not I like, you know, the character, I, I can't say I don't know anything about her. Um, and I do want to know what they're going to do with the companions as well, because this is it's going to be interesting because the pre-existing companion is not going to be with the new doctor for the changeover. So there's not going to be anybody around who previously knew the doctor as a man. That is true. Um, so, and you know. And boy, they're so... F- Oh my god, just thinking about the potential future of her running into, like, Captain Jack, which I can't believe it's been so long since Jack Hartness has been on the show, but... Seriously, John Barrowman, free up your schedule, god damn it. Um, But, you know, also, River Song. 
Yeah. Why? She's got a wife, dude. What possible? How in the world could they possibly find another way to bring back River? Like, I'm not saying they <laughs> it would be easy, but it would be interesting to, uh, you know, to explore that dynamic now that the Doctor is a woman. Yes, yeah, so it would definitely be interesting to see those two characters interact, but I am, I'm friggin' done with River. Like, I am done. And they have officially told her story as as thoroughly as I think that they can within reason. So I don't disagree. I just do think it's an interesting idea. Um, but I think more interesting is what they're going to do with the companions. And I think that not having a pre-existing companion who will, you know, be see the difference uh, will help cut down on the emphasis of, look, it's a woman. Agreed. Which was really what bothered me about the reveal it's you know is zero percent character information and a hundred percent physical information yeah it's like look we we hired a woman look at it look at her look at her and, and that being said i the one thing i can say is that yeah i am i am what was impressed with jody whitaker's performance on Broadchurch. i i have faith in her ability to handle the role and the interviews she's given since um, since the casting was announced makes me, you know, feel good about ha- that she'll treat the role with respect and that she's serious about it. And she's not just she's not just taking it as a stunt; she is taking it seriously. So, and that is one thing that you, that just has to be said about you know the Doctor Who since its revival is that it's been it's been pretty consistent ever since. Like there ha- even. Even the stuff that I've been more or less fed up with with Moffat, I mean, it's still been decent TV. Like it's, there hasn't been a lot of genuinely bad Doctor Who in the last, I don't know, a decade since it's been back on TV. I mean, the the BBC isn't really in the in the market to screw around with this property. Like it's, it is a very very big property. So, mm-hmm. I have faith that uh, good things will will come of it. Indeed. All right, Karen, it is time to take us home with the, what was it, uh, Emmys? Yes, the 69th Annual Emmy Awards nominations were announced last week. Um, hitting me completely by surprise and exactly when I needed something stupid like this to obsess over, (laughs) as I tend to do. So uh, it's going to be a good year. Um, One thing I noticed right away... um, tying back to our main topic is that Game of Thrones is not uh, nominated for anything because that's how fucking long it's been off the air. Because <laughs> it just missed the <laughs> yeah, Just completely missed a psych- an award cycle. Nice. Um, so there's there's some big, uh, big score nominees in uh, shows that we like. Stranger Things got uh, 18 nominations, including acting nominations for... Um, David Harbour played Sheriff Hopper for Eleven and for Barb, um, and not huh. and not for Winona Ryder. Interestingly, Remember, that enough. is interesting because she friggin' knocked it out of the park on that show. Yeah, she did. Um, and that show has really been nominated for all kinds of different categories. The Crown, uh, which I had you guys watch. Yeah, uh, that was an excellent show. They got thirteen for a lot of visual and technical stuff, costumes, directing, that kind of thing, and also for Claire Foy, Claire Foy's performance as the Queen, which I don't think anybody can argue that nomination. No. Uh, and This Is Us uh, also got eleven, um, mostly for performances. Uh, Jack, Ra- yeah, Milo Ventimiglia, Emmy nominated actor. <laughs> All right. Can't can't I can't argue it. Um, yeah, no, it's true. He's he's really good on that show. He is. Uh, Jack, Randall, and Kate, as well as the guy who played Randall's dad, uh, the doctor, the old guy. Uh, Randall. I mean, in Randall. particular. I, I really, mean. I really, of all the, sure, the other characters, I, I guess. I mean, they're not, they're certainly not bad performances, but. If I'm thinking of somebody who's done some really standout standout stuff on that show, Sterling K. Brown. Yeah, and you know, not just on that show, but in the category, like who else, whoever else he's up against. Which my thing is not loading as fast as I would like, but 
even not having seen some of these performances, I still don't see how they could be better than what he did this year on that show. Because I mean, it, it, as long as I mean, they're, they it's an overall performance for a season, right? Not like mm-hmm. what you did in this episode, right? Because that guy has been heartbroken, heartbreaking, hilarious. He's run the gamut. That character mm-hmm. has seen so much action from every single piece of the every single piece of the spectrum. It's I, I really think he has been truly remarkable. And the guy who played his dad too was was mm-hmm. just did an incredible job too. But if there was any one person on that show that I think deserves an award, it's it's him. The uh, competition for that award are uh, Anthony Hopkins on Westworld. Bob Odenkirk in Better Call Saul, Matthew Reese from The Americans, Leah Schreiber and Ray Donovan, and Kevin Spacey in House of Cards. That is some stiff competition. <laughs> yeah, I right mean, there. excuse me, Sir Anthony Hopkins. Sweet crap. So that's rough. But well, hey, I can't be I can't be mad at any of that. But no, um, but uh the fact that he even got nominated is great. Yes. That 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 performance deserves nomination. Uh, little on the other end of the spectrum, little to no recognition for any comic book comic book shows that we watch. Still an underrepresented genre in the awards. Uh, yeah, field. but I kind of feel like rightfully so. Yeah, I mean <laughs> like, it is kind of like sugary popcorn <laughs> television. Like there hasn't been anything on any of the superhero shows we watch that I thought was award worthy. I just feel like we've struck a good balance in our viewing between like you know entertainment for entertainment's sake and really good quality stuff. I will say that I am kind of surprised to not hear about anything. Like, is there a visual effects category? Yes. Like. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., man. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did get a few small nominations in various things. I can't remember exactly what. Okay. Uh, one of them was for the interactive thing, that slingshot thing that they did. Oh, yeah. Um, so other stuff that we like that got recognized, uh, Sherlock the Lying Detective, uh, both for Best TV Movie and for Cumberbatch. Star Wars Rebels got nominated for uh, Outstanding Children's Program. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Uh, American Gods, nominated for visual effects and title design. <laughs> for biggest what the fuck show <laughs> yes, ever. what the actual fuck. Um, <laughs> in the category of best stunt coordination drama, both Blind Spot and Luke Cage. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The Emmy nominated Blind Boy, there's, Spot. There's the, the crossover I never knew I wanted. Yes. <laughs> uh, that new Bill Nye show has gotten a couple of nominations for writing and production design cool which makes me happy because uh, i feel like if the show is being well written and put together well it's probably educating some people people are watching it so that's that's awesome uh series of unfortunate events best original score oh excellent um and probably makeup maybe i didn't really you know go down to it sounds like I went down to every single award, but I didn't. And a couple that I, I'm a little sad Evan isn't here to to hear because I know he'll be very happy to hear uh, that hit record show that he liked it was nominated for Outstanding Original Interactive Program. Huh. And uh, something we can all be happy about uh, for Best Actor in a Short Form Series, Alan Tudyk as Ray Neely in Con Man. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I think that's fantastic, and 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 good on Alan Tudyk for getting you know some recognition, albeit in a strange category for a strange thing. Um, there's been um, there's been always been a few like musical categories um in these awards shows. I feel like that field is widening out some to accommodate for more song and dance being done on television. Yeah, wasn't it um was it this or the Oscars that was like musical slash variety? It must have been this cuz there's not a lot of variety movies. Yeah, uh there's been a lot of different things. Um uh the the there's a there's been a choreography award for a while and it's usually just different numbers from those various dance competition programs. But one of the nominees this year was a dance number from The Real O'Neills. Huh. <laughs> from my, presumably a musical episode. Um, there's been nominations for Carpool Karaoke and for Lip Sync Battle. Uh, Lin-Manuel Manuel Miranda of Broadway fame is a nomination for hosting SNL. Of Broadway fame? 
Yeah, of Broadway fame. Okay. What? I guess he is famous for more than Hamilton, but really, of Hamilton fame. Okay, of Hamilton fame, but if you're a Broadway nerd, he also wrote In the Heights before Hamilton was ever a thing. Yes. Um, but my by far my favorite nomination of anything in in this emmys is a uh for original outstanding music and lyrics is a song from crazy ex-girlfriend my favorite song from crazy ex-girlfriend entitled we tap that ass (laughs) and it is up against a song from kimmy schmidt from snl from jimmy kimmel from something called the 13th on netflix and Yes, the song We Tap That Ass is up against Duck the Halls, a Mickey Mouse Christmas special. (laughs) (laughs) That is the most outstanding thing about the semis to me. What a great category. Uh, And there's, you know, other other great things that I'm looking forward to seeing. Um, Carrie Fisher uh, is posthumously nominated as guest actress in a comedy for her role in Catastrophe. That was her her final role. Um, and if she gets it, it's well-deserved. That character on that show is fantastic. Um, there's some real variety in the reality host cup category. You've got Gordon Ramsay for MasterChef, Alec Baldwin for the new match game, um, Heidi and Klum and Tim Gunn from uh, Project Runway, RuPaul from Drag Race, uh, a guy, you probably, maybe I'm the only one on the show who would know who uh, W. Kamau Bell is, his show United Shades of America. And Martha and Snoop for Martha and Snoop's Potluck Dinner Party, which is maybe a I show that... forgot that was even a thing. <laughs> yeah, I was just judging by your face. It seemed like you didn't even know that was a thing that happened, but yeah. So Martha and Snoop are nominated for an Emmy together. <laughs> There is huh. there are some weird new categories. There's uh, best special visual effects in a supporting role. What the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not expecting an answer from you. But what the I'm fuck is good, that? Because I don't have one. <laughs> there is a, uh, a for voiceover performance. So like Nancy Cartwright is nominated for Bart this year, and you know. Um, I think Seth MacFarlane is nominated for all the family guy stuff that he does, but that's, that's a under recognized Mm -hmm. aspect of the TV industry that I'm glad has a category. Now there's also an outstanding narrator category, which judging by the nominees is all for like documentary stuff. Okay. Which is a damn shame because I'm really mad that the narrator from Jane the Virgin <laughs> is not That's a good point. He makes that show. And he does. It's just, I guess it doesn't qualify because it's fiction. But um, the reality competition uh, category looks fierce. Fierce competition there. We've got Runway, Drag Race, Amazing Race, The Voice, Top Chef, and American Ninja Warrior. <laughs> Emmy-nominated American Ninja Warrior. And look, I adore that show. I really do. But 50% of it is hot steaming garbage. (laughs) And it's the 50% that we always do our best to fast forward, where it's going through all all the histories and inspiring stories of all the people involved. And it's just like, oh, who cares? I want to watch them run. (laughs) Exactly. Uh... As I said to, uh, as I said on Twitter, American Ninja Warrior, I see you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Akbar. Oh, I love Akbar. I'm coming to love Akbar as much as I love Matt Eisman. This is the way it is. And uh, the last thing that I noticed is that there is, um, <laughs> as much as we go to TV for an escape from this kind of thing, it's not uh, possible to deny that the current events in this country have generated a lot of Emmy nominees. Huh. Um, got Melissa McCarthy, Kate McKinnon, and Alec Baldwin nominated for their impersonations of various figures in uh, politics. Uh, Samantha Bee's Not the Correspondence Dinner and uh, Stephen Colbert's Live Election Night special both got some nominations. Uh, they're in the Best Commercial category. There was an uh, ad for the Women's March that was nominated. Um, There was a special on Facebook Live, which is apparently a thing that can be nominated for an Emmy now, 
uh, called Stand for Rights Benefit for the ACLU, as well as uh, the Hit Record episode that was nominated as also an um, ACLU-themed program. So, uh, you know, (laughs) something is coming out of these these terrible (laughs) times that we live in. Um, So... I guess silver lining. So tune in to the Emmys in the fall. Uh, we will likely be doing a live tweet, or at least I will be, because that's the kind of person I am. Uh, lots of good fun stuff to look forward to for the Emmys this year. I think it's going to be a good year. I concur. That's all I got. All right. Well, that's all I got, too. So uh, that's going to be our show. We'll wrap it up, and we'll wrap it up by saying that you can get in touch with us at mail at geekade.com, as well as all flavors of social media that we inhabit. You can like us on Facebook with both the, the Geekade page and the This Week's Episode page. Find us on Instagram at Geekade, subscribe to our YouTube and Twitch channels for all our latest video content, and follow us on Twitter at the underscore Geekade, or follow the show specifically at Twebcast. You can also find us individually on Twitter. I'm at Geekade Chris, that's Geekade K-R-I-S. Karen is at... Shoot underscore the underscore moon. And Evan is at Geekade underscore Evan. If you're interested in more information about anything we discussed here tonight, be sure to check out the show notes. And while you're at it, you can also subscribe to this and any of our other wonderful podcasts on iTunes or Stitcher. Or if you're super nice, you can leave us a review because any and all feedback is welcome and appreciated. Again, always remember to keep your eyes on Geekade.com where we post something new every single day. So, um... We are going to go ahead and uh, get back to normal next week. I am going to say that we are still going to attempt to watch uh, Season 1, Episode 2 of MTV's Made. The Sly Caps are made into a band. I am in in the process of... Uh, I, I've actually been in contact with a member of the Sly Caps. Uh, to see if we they can get us the episode in some way, shape, or form. I have my fingers crossed that that will work out, but if it won't, uh, keep your eye on our Facebook page. I'll, I'll post what show we're going to watch instead for my turn. And that's going to be pretty much it. So thank you very much for listening to this week's episode on Geekade.com. Um, I'm Chris. And I'm Karen. Good night. And this concludes our broadcast day.